child of mine. Yes, you won. I lost. You won. Sweet child of mine. It is. It was. Okay. All right. So, um, 75 people, 75% said sweet child uh, of mine, including my producers. Goodness. Uh, the office uh, disagreement has been won. I lost. On this day, 35 years ago, Guns N' Roses released this album, one of the great albums of all time. It's called Appetite for Destruction. It actually was released to little mainstream attention in 87. Although critics were originally ambivalent toward the album, Appetite for Destruction has received retrospective acclaim. Now, according to the drummer Stephen Adler, the drum's tracks took just six days, but Axl Rose's vocals took so much longer as he insisted on doing them one line at a time in a perfectionism that drove the rest of the band away from the studio. As he would, goodness. Um, what do you think, Emily? Is it, a, is it an album that's in your collection? Have you been a, um, a GNR fan at all? You didn't even play the whole song, Wallace. Well, you know, time's tight. <laughs> Time is tight. It's quite a long song. Oh, no, look, I'd go, I'd go knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door any day. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those get up on the dance floor and sing. <laughs> the good old knock. Knock, knock, knock on heaven's door. It okay. gets everyone up. Yeah, sure. Mark. Actually, when you play that, my dog leapt up. He got a bit freaked out. Um, I think that this song, I mean, Sweet Child of Mine would be my choice of the two, I'm sad to say, Wallace. But okay. these days it's firm, firmly reserved for weddings. Too late at night and everyone starts dancing and it's not always a good thing. Really? So what, you're on the dance floor in Newmarket there uh, oh, it's yeah. post-conference, and the song gets on, and oh you all... yes, we cut we cut the dance floor in half. Okay, yeah, we're, we're... <laughs> all right. So, um, well, that's a shame, isn't it? Because I really wanted to hear "Welcome to the Jungle," and I didn't get to hear it. So that's a shame. Uh, but nonetheless, you, uh, you, you, your show, um, and well done. Uh, big response regarding to our story regarding um, sick leave and having the flu. Kia Wallace. I've been shocked really shocked by how far the actual practice of my employer, a large city council, is from how they publicly advise us. As an employee in a customer-facing role, I have been astounded by being pulled into my manager's office to explain why I have had a lot of sick leave in the last four months. COVID, bronchitis, flu was the answer. In a team of 14, three of us have gotten into trouble for doing what we were told was the right thing to do. That is, if you're sick, stay home. Text me, 2101, email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Anti-water bottling campaigners have won a long-running legal battle. The Court of Appeal crossed the decision by the Environment Canterbury, ECAN, allowing cloud ocean water and Rapaki natural resources to extract 8.8 billion litres of water each year using decades-old consents originally granted for industrial use. Thousands of people, you remember this? Thousands took to the streets in 2019 to protest against the cloud ocean bottling plant. With us is Aotearoa Water Action spokesman Peter Richardson. Kia ora, Peter. Yeah, good afternoon. How are you? Very well. How are you? So you failed in 2020 in a high court bid to challenge ECAN's decision to grant the consent. So um, big win for you, Peter. Oh, a huge one. Yep, yep, very happy. And indeed, ECAN must also pay some of your appeal costs, around $18,000. 
yes. Well, we don't know what that cost is going to be yet. We haven't worked it out, but um, that's that's normal that they would pay our costs on the appeal. So explain it for, for remind our listeners. It was a big deal for the people of Otatahi, wasn't it? Billions of litres of water from Christchurch aquifers to be extracted out. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, um, the point I make is that um, while the um, while the while the uh, consents relied on um, old industrial consents, yes. those old industrial consents hadn't been used for many many years, and in fact they had never been used to the extent um, of the water takes consented. So, in practice, it was a big deal. It was a, um, a huge expansion of the amount of water being taken from the aquifers. Nonetheless, some might say, and our uh, panellists might have views on this, those Canterbury aquifers hold a massive amount of water. Uh, As one councillor said at the time, this could be a fantastic local business exporting some of the finest Cantabrian water around the world. You've got your New York restaurants drinking fine Cantabrian spring water. Well, the reality of the water bottling industry is that that's not actually how it works. I mean, what it is, it's, it's, it provides a mass water solution to um, uh, huge populations overseas that have been unable to or have failed to manage their own water resource. So, you know, the idea of, you know, people in New York uh, drinking, you know, high-grade premium yeah. uh, water from our aquifers is just a, um, it's just a fallacy, really. That's not the way the water bottling industry works. All right, Emily. Oh, hallelujah. Great work, Peter. What an awesome result. I I think the idea of bottling water and sticking it in bits of plastic and sending it around the world is just completely nuts. Could be glass. Bottled water water for some time has cost more per litre than petrol. It's crazy. We could be using that water to grow grow crops or, you know, send into schools instead of fizzy drinks. We've got enough uses for water in Aotearoa, please, we don't need to export it in plastic bottles. But but, but, but just to Emily and to you, Peter, you add value, don't you? You add value on natural water. Couldn't this be an amazing asset, uh, an amazing business? I come back to that, amazing business for Ototahi. Um, Isn't it a better business to grow crops using it? Mm. Peter? Um, when you say add value, um, what you mean putting it into a plastic bottle? Yeah, or a glass bottle, perhaps. Well, that's that, that wasn't uh, what was applied for. No. That wasn't part of the uh, bottling application. And to be honest, it doesn't work economically to put um, you know to put bulk water into glass bottles and export it halfway around the world. Heavy, yeah, Mark. Um, I am, as you will be aware, all for business and entrepreneurialism, all that kind of thing. Yeah. I really am, but. I think we need to learn, we need to move away from this whole culture of bottled water. Our species on this planet survived yeah, for yeah. a very long time until the past 20 years. So I don't know what's happened in the last 20 years where we need to have bottled water. It's just madness. And also, I think fundamentally, we will need to learn, we have to learn to respect water because we take it for granted. And I think water is going to be the gold of the future. Peter? Uh, that's exactly right. Um, you know, we're looking uh, generations ahead. Um, you know, we're looking to the uh, future drinking water supplies of Christchurch. Um, we need to allow for growth. We need to allow for climate change. We need to take a uh, precautionary approach. 
And really, Peter, was that the bigger issue, uh, that actually water and water quality, because that is an ever-present issue, as it is in other places, but specifically so in Christchurch? Well, for us, that was the only issue, really. Um, you know, economic arguments, they're fine, but they, um, they don't mean anything if you don't have a safe and reliable water uh, resource for your people to drink. Now, just finally, Peter, um, what's going to happen now? Do you think that uh, ECAN will appeal to the Supreme Court? I don't know. Um, I don't know. We feel it's a robust decision. We think it's a very good decision. Um, you know, there was, there was a three-judge court of appeal. Um, we think their reasoning is very sound. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, they've got a right. They have to apply for leave first of all to the Supreme Court to um, to appeal. So. There's two hurdles to get over. First of all, they need to uh, get leave to appeal, and secondly, they would need to um, follow their appeal and be successful in that appeal. Yeah. Very good, Peter. Thanks for joining us. That is Aotearoa Water Action Spokesman Peter Richards. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because that oh, that was a very big issue, eh? That, the huge march, or marches, uh, back in uh, 2019. Got to read this out because uh, Graham is quite true. My God, Wallace. English, please. What on earth is an aquifer? The word is aquifer. Graham. <laughs> Noted. I stand corrected. Thank you. Uh, 17 to 5, the panel, RNZ National, Emily Lofton and Mark Knopf Thomas with me today. Now, in other corrections, perhaps, uh, we talked a few weeks ago, actually a couple of weeks ago, to Bob Osborne, a spokesperson for Responsible Campers Association, who said that his group wants uh, people to poo 15 metres away from waterways and to bury it at least 15 centimetres below the ground. And I perhaps unthinkingly said, well, can't you just hold on? Not recognising, not recognising really that actually everyone can't just hold on. What's this all about, Bob? You want people to have the right to poo. Well, I mean, you can't, you can't really ban that. I mean, we can't expect people to poo their pants because there's no public facilities. Um, obviously, the greatest problem probably is a lack of greater of public facilities, particularly in, in out-of-town areas. What we did promote... Um, Can't you hold case. on? <laughs> For how long? <laughs> and not everyone can hold on. And we've got a lot of feedback. Wallace, not everyone can hold on. Bruce Lahore from the New Zealand Motor Caravan Association called the comments bizarre. But it did get us to thinking, if you're stuck with nowhere to go, well, what is the etiquette? Wilson's Able Tasman Chief Executive Daryl Wilson has written about it and has thoughts on it. Daryl, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. My goodness, I was wondering how you were going to get from pristine water and aquifers to um, this topic, but it's I see how you got there exactly. now. Exactly. You see, it's all about the segue. It's all about the segue, Daryl. Seamless, wasn't it? So you're urging, somewhat, you're urging bush toilet etiquette also. In fact, you launched a tagline, was in the wild. Explain that. Um, yeah, it's not my most notable moment, I imagine, but it was um, prompted two, three years ago when there was a lot of media, a lot of keyboard warriors getting into the impacts of tourism and the desecration of the wild and the wilderness. And um, Abel Tasman National Park being near to our hearts, or our family's hearts now for eight generations, I thought, hmm, this is getting a wee bit out of context with the reality so I asked yeah. a couple of my guides to walk through the whole of the track just before the COVID lockdown things were a bit quiet strangely enough and um, see how much rubbish there actually was and what the makeup 
of it was. And so they did that five days later with five modest rubbish bags of detritus that had been there for various lengths of time came out and part of the issue was around toileting. Yep. And yes, you do have to go when you've got to go. So That's uh, right. It's not an option. Back to so the theme. Um, yeah, so we did a bit of analysis and the, the biggest issue we noted from a multi-gender advisory pickup panel was the um, inappropriate use of toilet tissue primarily it appeared by women and we said and others have echoed the same thought that people do have to consider when whizzing in the wild what they need as a resource and um, toilet tissue though it may appear to be biodegradable in our climate where we don't get that much rain usually and a lot of sunshine it can take years to break down all right so put it in a ziploc bag and take it away okay so take your spoils away that's 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 the advice yes and we went one step further and i said well the local councils are more than happy to put at identifiable hot spots for such action um doggy do bags and dispensers why could not the national parks and public spaces of new zealand have a similar proposition I, 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 I know our panellists will have thoughts on this, but do you really seriously expect people to actually follow that advice, take a dog and do back with, with them, for them? Is that actually well, practical, Daryl? It certainly is in a lot of other countries in the world. Japan is a lot more advanced in that space in their natural wilderness they? Mm. environments. They have all sorts of little appliances that you can buy online if you wish. Make sure you clear your search history afterwards. And, um, all right. It is, um, yeah, there's a whole world of this, a lot of alpining environments, a lot of national parks around the world are definitely a pack-in, pack-out, everything basis. My goodness. So it's not unique. Uh, okay, it's not unique. All right, a pack-in, pack-out, every single thing. Uh, let's show, start with Mark Knopf-Thomas on this. Mark, uh, you're, you're a bit of a walker, a tramper. Uh, not so much, but I, and I am very accustomed, though, to taking a whole bunch of poo bags and take my dog out for a walk, and that's never been a problem. But I have a, I have a bit of an issue with human feces, I suppose. Um, what I'd like to see, though, is the rollout of better infrastructure around the country, especially in those remote areas uh, where there are better facilities for people to, you know, dispose of their human waste appropriately. Um, and that should probably fall with central government rather than local council, because a lot of those remote areas don't really have the, the rater base to fund that sort of thing. Um, but it, it is an issue, and I th- think people just need to act responsibly and, and, you know, maybe taking it away with you is is the preferred thing. I just don't see, you know, they're happening in a Ziploc bag. And if people can't be – I mean, people are – Why not? Why sort- not, Mark? But if people people are lazy enough, if not being watched, not to put their supermarket trolley back in the loading bay. So if they're out in the middle of the forest with, um, you know, after going to the bathroom, doing a number two, I don't think they're going to worry about picking it up and taking it with them, to be honest. All right. Stay there. Stay right there, Daryl. Emily. Mm. Oh, I'm glad you can't see my face right now. <laughs> um, aren't, aren't, aren't poo dispensers called toilets? Del, you know, like, I? I cannot imagine how you could hygienically do your business in a Ziploc bag and carry it and dispose of it. I mean, I, you know, oh, biggest belief. I, yes. I, I drove recently through the, up the West Coast coming from Hearst and um, I was just amazed at how many public toilets there were in fantastic condition. Um, every 
every few miles there seemed to be a really great public facility and i realized that we'd come down the east coast and back up the west that it wasn't the same on the other coast and it did make me think most places you go there are rare public facilities or they're paid public facilities and i i I kind of feel like we need yes poo dispensers but the toilets yeah all right final thoughts on that daryl well you you make your own choices and yes it does require an attitudinal change and yes toilets are the preference but the conversations around what happens when there isn't and two it's not all about number twos in our case it appeared to be more about number one okay and the tissue trail that was left behind yeah. the confetti of the wilderness the right. confetti disgusting isn't it the confetti of the yeah. wilderness yeah no i've seen it yeah. before uh, on on a walk and it's just not nice and you're from a beautiful part of the country the abel tasman daryl and uh you want to keep it that way Mm. An American woman wrote when she saw wind of something that popped up through RNZ and said in the, over there they have a culture of using wee rags, for example. And, um, yeah, so it's not not a, com, uh, not a new thing. It's all right, Daryl. Great advice there. Thank you. That's uh, Wilson's Able Tasman Chief Executive there. So uh, best practice, take a Ziploc bag. Um, mm, it's, uh, yeah, maybe hard to do, but... Uh, you might have to do it. Someone says, uh, do you know that uh, it costs $7,000 to clear one dock long drop? It's a lot of money. It's nine minutes to five. The panel, RNZ National Motorsport, is about to finish at Pukekohe Park Raceway. The last motorsport event at the race course will be April the 2nd, 2023, before the site turns its focus to horse racing. Legends were created here and it was the location of the supercar's first ever international championship race. The motorsport park, well that opened, 63 hosted the New Zealand Grand Prix. The multi-purpose venue is owned by the county's racing club. It'll be only used for horse racing. Now we are speaking to one of the legends racing Ray Williams. Ray has broken multiple land speed records in his beloved Porsche 930 Ray, welcome to the show. But firstly, I've got to get your name right. How do you say it? You've got to say Racing Ray. <laughs> racing Ray Williams Wallace. Glad to be here. It's, it's a pleasure to be speaking to such a legend. 60 years of motorsport, Pukekohe Park Raceway. How are you feeling, Ray? <laughs> you got that right, mate. That's good. Not, not people can get that. The, right. They gave me the because I've won over 300 races. I've been very lucky. Okay. And a lot of those have been on Pukekohe. Sure. So many records, long distance races, sprint races, the whole lot. So many, many happy re- memories from there. Right back to the early days, before I started racing there, um, the Grand Prix would ask go around different car clubs and scooters. My brothers and I had motor scooters back then as teenagers. And they'd give us free admission if we would help with the crowd control. So, of course, we'd get on our little motor scooters. And back then, in the early days, the back straight would be full of people as well. They'd let people into the infield of the of the circuit. And there were so many people, it was really a joy to go out there. We'd just ride along outside the hay bales, making sure that no one wandered out too close to the track. Fabulous. <laughs> uh, Ray, you are a, a motorsport legend, but I'm thinking of other legends as well. I'm thinking Sterling Moss. I'm thinking yes. Jackie Stewart. You've got your yes. Chris uh, Amons. You've got your Amon, Bruce yes. McLarens. They all race there. Exactly. Denny Holm included. So many of those top, top, top guys came from all around the world to New Zealand. Yeah, there's so much history. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So it's dear in my eye thinking it's going to close for good. But we have got to hang on to those fabulous memories that we have had. And we've still got till April to have a, send a few more memories there as well. So, yeah. Yep, there's still time. And I, I please email me your thoughts about the Pukekohe Raceway. What did you see there? How did you see it? Who did you go with? Email the panel at rnz.co.nz. We'll read some out tomorrow. Emily, yep. your thoughts. Have you been there? I have been there, but I have done a little bit of uh, amateur racing myself. Have and you? With, I have, I have, I have to confess, burn it up around the track. Um, <laughs> uh, my husband and I were doing um, interclub sprints racing, and we shared a car, and there was another car that we were racing against which had also two drivers, so you take your turn. And it was my turn out on the track against this other car that we were paired with. And I gave it my very best, and um, I won the race. And when I got out of the car at the end, I pulled my helmet off, and the guy who got out of the car I was, um, I'd was i just beaten suddenly went, oh, no, it was the girl. I lost against the girl, which made the win for me even sweeter because he hadn't realised he thought it was my husband in the car, not me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ray, so, look, uh, the, the track is going 60 years. Is this your dream race track from around the world? It has been, yes, because I started on there all, the, all those many, many years ago, and it's so many memories. I know some people didn't like it because it's bumpy and it's dangerous, and it's there's been a few fatalities there, motorbikes especially, because right. the walls are a bit unforgiving. But but oh it's something you, you you just learn to drive on what's there. You know, it's just it's a fabulous track. I love it. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Mark, oh, it's, it's a fabulous end of an era actually, and it's something which has a had a remarkable history and provided such a great focus point for so many people to go and gather together. So it's, although it's sad, do you have any, any idea where it's going to be relocated to, Ray? No, well, we've got Hampton Downs, which is a big venue. It's, it's down the way a wee bit, but it's not too far, just past the Mary Murray drag strip. So it's only three quarters of an hour. It's about 10 minutes further than Pookie. So hopefully we can all move there. The sad thing to me, back in 75, Levin was closed down. I raced on that one. 95, Bay Park was closed down. We had a race at Wongaray Street Circuit. That got closed down. Hamilton Street Races, that got closed down. Whanuapai Wings and Wheels, that got closed down. Auckland Domain Hill Climb, that got closed. Do I sound like a bit of a record going on here? They're they're clipping your wings, Ray. (laughs) They are, they are. And we've got to have places where kids can still enjoy themselves and Everyone's got a little bit of a, a, a need for speed, a bit of excitement, you know, and, but we want to do it in a safe environment, and that's what Pukekohe's given us, and that bothers me. There's more and more sort of road races and incidents going on, and we have to try and let the kids get this adrenaline out of their systems on a safe place. So hopefully they'll come to Hampton Downs now and just um, and do it there. Is the world Sorry. still accepting, though? I mean, the, world, the, the things are changing, you know, the world's changing, climate change as well. And do you, do you, do you think that um, uh, we need to sort of focus on other sports? You could use that big space for uh, archery, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, your frisbee, archery, your frisbee throwing. <laughs> There's going to be all the positive to try and come out of it all. I'm just sorry, Wallace. I'm still a, I'm still a petrol head as well. I know okay. our trip parts are coming, and that bothers me because we're running out of power already to try and charge these things up. You know, um, It's just a bit of a worry. It seems, it seems to be a, a mood coming through that you're not allowed to have fun anymore. You've got to stop making noise and stop having fun. And it's, it's just a bit different, and it's a bit difficult for old fellas like me to... To, to swallow it all, you know. Pleasure to have you on, Ray. We've got a bit of uh, uh, Guns and Roses coming up, especially dedicated oh, to you. 
Yep, a little bit of welcome to the jungle. Uh, that's Racing Ray Williams there. Now, it's time for Checkpoint. Very shortly, I just uh, must make mention that the New Zealand Radio Awards are about to get underway for 2022. And the Checkpoint team is up for best news story team coverage for the uh, Tokyo Olympics. And Checkpoint's Louise Turner is finalist for best new broadcaster, a journalist. All the best to the Checkpoint team and all the other RNZ finalists. Emily Laughlin, Mark North Thomas, you have been both wonderful. Thanks for being with me today. Appreciate it. And here we have a little bit of, what is this? The song. Back tomorrow, 3.45. Rock and roll. It's your-